So we're finishing up this, this book, uh, Remember and Respond. Remember what God has done. That's the first part of Second Peter. Uh, and respond to that salvation that God has worked in you uh, by, by living for him, living a life that is celebrating the great work of God on your behalf. And now here we are in the second part of Second Peter, which is remember and respond to what God is going to do. Uh, that he is going to return, bring new heavens and new earth, that we're waiting for this. And so if we're waiting for this as our ultimate hope, what do we do? Well, we live lives of holiness and godwardness. We uh, live, as we're seeing now in this section, beginning of verse 14, we strive to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And so that's what we're looking at. So if if you go to verse 14 of chapter 3, we're looking at, again, that, that word, that, that final word, at peace. And the reason we are is because uh, for many people, the, the call for peace is uh, either ignored uh, in the church. We, we never think about peace as an, like an essential Christian characteristic, like someone who's a Christian must be someone at, at peace. Though like what we saw a few weeks ago that, that that's not because the Bible doesn't stress that, because the Bible is, stresses over and over the importance of peace in God's children, uh, or if peace is talked about, it's just talked about as a consequence. It's not something that we can pursue. But here we're seeing Peter tell us that we need to pursue peace. So we've got to figure out how we as believers pursue peace. And so we looked at what sort of peace are we talking about? We looked at peace with God. We looked at peace with one another, that that those things are things we're not supposed to be wishing that we had. I wish I was at peace with my brothers and sisters, or I wish I was at peace with God. Like those are things you strive for, that you pursue, that you long for, that you hasten, as Peter says. Uh, But now uh, we're going to look at another uh, area of peace today as we'll look at inner peace or inward peace, so we don't sound all uh, mystical. Uh, But let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. And we'll start with verse 14, and we'll read through verse 18. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, remember the new heavens and the new earth from verse 13, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, we do. We are so thankful, God, for the chance to meet together to be with this body of believers, these people that you have brought into our lives by your sovereign hand for our good and for your glory, that you might grow us up into a people that is holy and a people at peace in a world of chaos. Father, may you help us to pursue peace as you call us to do in your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're looking at verse 14. uh, That therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. 
So the last two weeks, we've looked about uh, how important peace is, how it's a characteristic of God himself and of what God is doing in the world. He's, he's building. Remember, we saw God is building a kingdom. The God of peace is building a kingdom of peace by sending the Prince of Peace to make a people of peace. So all of those things are terms picked out from, from the text uh, that, that just like it is here, peace and holiness are often tied together in, in Scripture. And so as we looked at what peace is, peace with God, peace with one another, uh, we saw the need to pursue those things. Uh, that the Bi- and really, peace with one another is the one that the Bible really stresses more that we should pursue because the peace with God, as we saw, is, is one that is pursued and achieved by Christ. Uh, and then he applies that to us. And, uh, but the Bible stresses over and over the need for us to pursue to be a people of peace with one another. And so we saw that that piece is, of course, important, although it's neglected in the church. But now we're on to this final piece because there is another piece in the church that is also often neglected uh, by us. And this is what is sometimes called inner peace or inward peace, being someone who is at peace with themselves, with what's going on. Uh, And again, this is a peace that it, it has become acceptable for Christians to not have, right? I'm just, and you'll still hear people say this, I'm just an anxious person, I'm just a warrior, I'm just a whatever, but we're going to see that that from Scripture, peace is something. This inward peace that we are supposed to have is something that is purchased for us by Christ and is given to us and is expected to be a part of the believer's life. So when the Bible talks about how the Holy Spirit, one of the gifts of the Spirit is peace, it is not just talking about peace with God. It is not just talking about peace with one another. It is talking about you being at peace in your heart. This inward peace, this inward contentment, this inward satisfaction that we're going to see comes from the Lord for his children. That it is something vitally important for us to have because Jesus is going to tell us it is part of the work that he has done for us. It is part of what he has achieved for us. And so we cannot lightly or quickly cast it aside as if it is not a gift that our Savior has bought for. So let's look at this idea of of inward peace that that Christians aren't just uh, at peace with the world around them, that we're supposed to be at peace inside ourselves. There's supposed to be a peace that that sort of guards, as we'll see in Philippians really next week, uh, that guards our hearts, that guards our minds. That there's this inward satisfaction in the Lord that allows us to be at peace, at rest in our hearts to not. Christians are not, we're not supposed to be a tumultuous people, right? Tossed around by every wind and wave, not of doctrine, right? But of emotion. Uh, And so I'm fine, but then something happens and I'm not fine. And then things are okay again. So I'm fine. But then I, then a catastrophe comes and I'm not fine. Or what normally happens, I think about a catastrophe that might come uh, and I'm not fine. The catastrophe hasn't come, but man, is it sure alive and well in my imagination that we're not supposed to be people like that. We are supposed to be a people that are as calm as the sea when Christ spoke peace to it. That's what we're supposed to be like. Not, not, not tumultuous waves of emotion, but, but at peace with God, with others, and within ourselves. In fact, this is the way God describes that his people will be. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15 says this. 
For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and in rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Our strength as the, as the people of God, as the people of the God of the universe, our strength is what? Where is our strength? In trusting God. And in the quietness that comes when you trust God. If you trust that the God of the universe is watching over you, there is a strength in that. You do not feel weak. You do not, you have, as we're going to see from, that Jesus is going to say, you have nothing to fear. Because God is your strength, trusting him. And that trust leads to a quietness, a peacefulness that knows my God is in control. Everything is going to be okay. And not everything is going to be okay, but everything very much is already okay. But sometimes, even as Christians, we can battle for peace, not just around us, but inside ourselves. We, we can be anxious, we can be fretful, we can be angry, we can be hurting, we can be doubting. All of these emotions can threaten the peace of our hearts. So how do we get that peace that God says is ours? If God says, look, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength, how do we get that? Where does that peace come from? Because you know what? Sometimes I battle with anger. Or you know what? Sometimes I battle with doubt. Or sometimes I battle with being hurt by people. Or sometimes I battle with anxiety or, or fretting about things. So how do I get that peace? We're going to see that the Bible says that peace comes to you through the work of Christ. That Christ gives us that peace. And as we saw earlier, uh, two weeks ago, when we were looking at peace, our job is not to achieve that peace. Our job is to hold firmly to that peace, to not let it go. That these are things that Christ has purchased for us, that he has planted in our hearts, fruit that he is growing there. Our job, cling to it, strengthen it, Uh, don't abandon it. It is never that the peace of God is going to abandon you. It is always that you abandon the peace that God has given you. So let's see, let's see this happen as Jesus is going to tell us this all is going to come through the work of the gospel. That all this peace comes from God. It is ours. It is not based on your personality. It's not based on your family history. Like this peace can and is yours through the work of Christ, which makes sense. We saw that the gospel is called the gospel of peace. Let's see how Christ works this peace, not just around us, but how Christ works peace inside his people. Turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. uh, So as you know, John 20, this is Jesus just risen from the grave. That's what's going on in John 20. Uh, And he's beginning to show himself to his disciples. And there's one phrase in John 20 that he repeats three times. Every time he meets with the disciples, he repeats this phrase, and it's the the phrase, peace. He speaks, when he meets with them, he speaks peace. So look, for example, at John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So rather than, but rather than just a greeting, right? He's not just saying, hey, peace, guys, you know, like, what's up? How's everybody doing? Uh, this phrase is actually, it's not like sort of like a first century, like, how you doing, guys? Uh, this is Christ teaching a message to 
his followers. That when he comes and enters the room and says peace, he is proclaiming to them what must be and is theirs in his work. And that's not surprising because peace has been a part of Jesus' message when he was talking to his disciples. He told them that, uh, so right before this, if we go back to John chapter 13, he is preparing them for his departure and for the fear that would come when he was gone. And so in John 13, he told them, look, I'm going to die. And he told them, look, when I do, uh, like, I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to doubt. I want you to, I want you to, I want you to know that everything's going to be okay. And then you get to the start of chapter 14. He tells them even after all of this, it's going to happen. Look, because what did he tell him? I'm going to be betrayed. Peter's going to deny me all of this, but I don't want you to be afraid. And so if you get to John chapter 14, verse 27, look at what Jesus says to them in John chapter 14, verse 27. So how do we know when Jesus said, peace be with you? He's not just giving them a greeting because he's told them all the way back in John 14, how peace was going to be theirs. He says, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So Jesus just told them he's going to die. He's just told him he's going to leave. And now he tells him in chapter 14, says, rather than being anxious, what this death of Christ is going to mean for them, what his betrayal is going to mean for them, Jesus is giving them peace. He's saying, peace I'm leaving, specifically eternal peace. He doesn't want their hearts to be troubled. He doesn't want them to be anxious. He doesn't want them to be afraid. So after just telling them all the bad stuff that's going to happen, he says, look, but what I'm giving you is peace. And that troubled heart is a danger for these believers because peace is going to be hard for them. In fact, look at chapter 16, verse 33. So this is building up. So we're building up to why Jesus says peace in chapter 20. So, so all this bad stuff is going to happen. I don't want you to be troubled. I don't want you to, I want you to be at peace. So we get to John 16, 33. This is why peace is going to be hard. He tells them, I've said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. Now, this is an important verse. He said, in the world, you may have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In chapter 16 here, Jesus has just finished up his last speech with the disciples. The last speech that he's going to ever give them, he's told them in that some, some hard things like we talked about, that he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to, Peter's even going to deny him, that he would suffer, that he would die, that they would suffer. But he also told them some pretty encouraging things uh, in that, starting from chapter 13 all the way through chapter 16. That's when he told them, like, I'm the way and the truth and the life. That's where he told them, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. That's where he told them he was going to send the Holy Spirit. That's where he told them, I'm the vine, you are the branches. A bunch of good things. But here in verse 33, this is the last thing he tells his disciples. His last word, so, so to speak to them. And what does he say? He says, I don't want you to be troubled. In this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. But what does he give them? I've said these things to you so that you may have what? Peace. All of those things that he said to them were for them to have peace. And then after that, he's going to pray that high priestly prayer of John 17. Uh, And then after he says, amen there, what happens? He's like arrested. He's like, okay, the guy's here. It's time for this to happen. And then it's all 
to the cross and then they don't see him really again until this moment. So the last thing he said to them before he left was peace. And now the first thing he says to them when he gets back is peace. And so after the resurrection, it's not surprising them that when he greets them, he tells them, look, here is peace. And, And it's clear that this peace is instructional because he repeats it multiple times. He repeats it in verse 19, repeats it in verse 21, he repeats it in verse 26. So let's see what peace Christ is working inside his people because there's some very specific things that he talks about. The first thing we're going to see is that he works peace in the face of fear. Peace in the face of fear. Look at John chapter 20 verses 19 and 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples then were glad when they saw the Lord. So from the day of the the cross uh, and the arrest up to this, the disciples have been anything but competent. Right. If you've you read the accounts, no one's like, you know, that disciple did really well there. Uh, They're all like running. Some of them are running naked. Like they're just getting they're just getting out of here. Like there's definitely no. And when you get here. They're obviously gripped with what? What does it say they've got gripping their hearts here? Fear. They have locked the doors for fear of the Jews. So you can imagine these men feared that they are hunted, locking the doors so that no one comes in. I mean, imagine these men and women sort of shaking with what's going to happen to us. And Christ shows up. And what is the first thing that he says to them? Peace. These men and women shaking fearful, and he says to them, peace. He gives them peace. He show, and and how, does he, how does he give them peace? He shows them what? He shows them his hands and his side. So he says, peace to you, and then what does he do? He says, look. And it says he shows them his hands and his side. When he showed them his hands and his side, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So look, Jesus comes, notice that it works. Jesus comes, speaks peace, shows them that he is real and the change that comes over to the disciples. Instead of being afraid, what does it say they feel now? They were glad to see the Lord. Now what's crazy about this event is this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. John chapter 16, verse 22. Jesus says this, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take that joy from you. So before his death, Jesus promised his disciples that they would see him again, that that, that they would at the first be filled with sorrow. But when they saw him, they would rejoice. What's funny is if you go back to John chapter 20, verse 20, where it says the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord, that's actually the same word as the word rejoice. The same word. When they saw the Lord. So Jesus said, you're going to see me and you're going to rejoice. And then in chapter 20, it says, and they rejoiced when they saw him. But Jesus said, look, things are going to be hard, but when you see me, when you see me again, you will move from sorrow to joy. You will be glad. You will rejoice because you will see that I am real and that what I've done for you is real. As he said in verse 16, 33, what gives them this peace? I've said these things. You may have peace in the world. You have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world by showing himself. 
Jesus is showing, by showing his scars, by showing them his victory, he's driving away their fear. So you've got these disciples who were trembling for fear, but then when they see Christ, the fear is gone. The peace of Christ drove away any fear that they had. So Christian, the peace we must have in our hearts is similar to theirs. We must have a peace that has nothing to fear. We must be a people who are not afraid of anything in this world. Why? Because Christ has overcome the world. Like he said, in this world you may have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So what are you afraid of? Rejoice and be glad. See my hands. See my side. See that I am real. See the peace that Christ gives. We have nothing to fear in this world. We don't fear the world. We don't fear the things in it. We have peace. In fact, we can rejoice in the midst of sorrow because our Christ is real. The victory he has won is real. We don't have to sit up, you know, in our rooms with the doors locked. And some of the rooms that we lock uh, are not physical rooms, but mental, mental rooms that we're like, I'm so afraid that this might happen, you know, and we're all just, you know, a, 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 a Twitter about, you know, the things that we're afraid might take place. And we'd never lock ourselves up in our physical houses, but we're all, well, some of us might, uh, but we're, we're afraid of this or that. And that fear can be crippling. Look, you have no reason to be afraid. No reason for us to let fear drive away our peace. There's nothing that this world can do to you that can overcome what Christ has already done. Christ has purchased your victory. Christ has taken away anything you have to fear. He has overcome this world and you can trust him. And you can have peace no matter what comes. You can have a world of Jews seeking to kill you. And Jesus can come to you and say, peace, peace be with you. So the first thing we want to make sure that we have as Christians is that we are not a fearful people. Christians are not supposed to be a fearful people because of Christ. Christ has purchased victory out of fear for us. But that's not the only fear he talked about with, uh, or the only uh, peace he talked about with his disciples. Look down in verse 21. Jesus is going to give them peace, not just over fear. He's going to talk peace and then talk about their purpose, that he gives them peace in their purpose in life. So verses 21 through 23, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the, and so, so again, he's saying the same thing. He's not forgetting that he said peace already. They're not like, Jesus, you already said that. Uh, and he's going to explain a different type of peace now to them. Peace be with you as the father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they've forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So again, Jesus gives them peace. And what does he say gives them peace this time? That just as he has been sent by the father, he is sending them. And that when they go out, look, he says in verse 23, he's sending them so that when they go out and they can tell people your sins are forgiven and your sins aren't forgiven, that they're not overstepping their bounds. In other words, I'm telling you to do this. I'm giving you this purpose in life. And if you follow the purpose that I have given you, then you can know that everything is going to be okay. Just how certain is Christ sending them? He says, look, you can be sure that when I send you out, my authority is with you. Just as much as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Our purpose is just as certain as Jesus. And it proves it uh, with a little bit of assurance he gives them. He says, look, you can, even, you can even tell people your sins are forgiven and your sins aren't forgiven. Now, 
if we remember in Jesus' life, why is it, why is it, why is it crazy that he says that disciples can say that? Do you remember an event in his life where that became a little bit of an issue? Remember Matthew chapter 9 when Jesus did that? So Matthew chapter 9 uh, says, In getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man's blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So when Jesus said that someone's sins are forgiven, the leaders of the Jews went nuts, and they called it blasphemy, right? But now Jesus... And they, they would have been right. It would have been blasphemy if Jesus hadn't been sent by the Father. Now Jesus is saying, remember that thing that the people got mad at me for doing? Because I'm sending you out, you can now do that. In other words, if you say to someone, faith is only found in believing in the name of Christ. And if you believe in the name of Christ, you'll be saved. And if you don't believe in the name of Christ, you're not saved. You're not overstepping your divine bounds there. You're not saying things. You, you, you can't say that. No, you can say that. Why? Because Christ told you, you can say that. Because Christ said, this is part of what he sent them out to do. In, you and I have been given a task from the Lord. We have a purpose and we can be confident that no matter, that no matter what you're doing with your life, no matter what your job is, no matter how successful you are at it or unsuccessful, no matter how much you're climbing the corporate ladder or, you know, you've kicked the ladder over and set it on fire or, you know, you want nothing to do with the corporate ladder or whatever it is. No matter what, if you're living, if you're living for the Lord, if you're pursuing what he sent you out to do, if you're proclaiming his name, if you're striving to live holy, holiness and Godwardness, then your, your life has a greater purpose than anything else you can find. So many times we think, I want to do something. You watch TV, you hear people all the time saying, I just want my life to mean something. And they chase after all these purposes. And you know what they never find? Peace. They're chasing after one thing and another thing and another thing. Do you know the only one that can give you peace in your purpose in life? is Christ. It's to go out and do what he sent you to do. To go out following, because what happens with the apostles? Jesus sends out the apostles and says, look, this is what you're supposed to do. And the apostles then go out and they write letters to us and say, hey, this is what Christ wants you to do. And so as you and I are living out a faithful biblical living, do you know what we're doing? We're achieving our purpose. We're achieving the thing that so many people in this world are looking for. They want to know, well, I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm just a, you know, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Or I'm just a this, I'm just a, you know, I work at this type of job or I have a, a that or no one knows me or when I die, everyone's seeking for this weird significance to their life. The only purpose that matters is doing what the Lord has called you to do. And if you're doing that, it doesn't matter in what area or how you're doing that. It doesn't matter if you're doing it as a doctor or if you're doing it as a plumber or if you're doing it as a stay-at-home mom or if you're doing it as a pastor. It doesn't matter. Your purpose is one given to you by Christ. And you can have peace. This is 
what I'm supposed to do. This is how I'm supposed to live, to bring God glory in everything I do. And if I'll do that, then my life has all the purpose that it could ever have. And you can be at peace with where your life is. You can be at peace, just like the apostles when he said, look, I'm sending you out, but take heart. Be at peace. I'm sending you just as the Father sent me. Christ has sent us out into the world to live for his name, to glorify him. And if you do that, you'll find purpose. You know, the reason a lot of us don't feel like we've got any purpose in this world is because we're not doing the purpose that he sent us out to do. We're not doing that. And so if you're just a stay-at-home mom who's not sharing the gospel with your kids and not seeing that as a purpose to when I wake up and lie down and sleep, I'm talking to them all the time. If you're not a father who's doing that, you know, you're just getting up and going to work and coming back and going to bed and doing whatever, but you're not doing the thing that the Lord laid out for you to do as a family and as a Christian, then of course you don't feel like your life has any purpose. It's not your life doesn't have any purpose. It's that you're ignoring the purpose. It's that you're ignoring the thing that God has sent you out to do. And so then you can chase after all these other things and you're never going to find satisfaction in them because that's not what you were made to do. You know, I am the worst person with tools. I know how to use them. I just don't know where to put them because apparently where I put them is not where they're supposed to be because I can never find them. So when I need a hammer, you know what nine times out of ten my hammer is? The back end of a screwdriver, right? I just like, well, I guess I'll just flip the screwdriver around and beat on this nail with this. Because I can't find a hammer. Do you know where I know it probably is? In one of my kids' toy boxes. I know it's probably there, probably the same place the power saw is. But I don't know. Uh, but I just know I can't find them. Uh, and, and a lot of us, that's what we're trying to do with our lives. God says you're supposed to live for him and for his glory in whatever you do. And we think, no, my biggest thing is to figure out what I want to do and then figure out how to fit God's glory into that. I mean, that's that's... Not to get on a tangent, that's the way we set up everything. That's the way we set up like college. That's the way we set up when we're talking to kids about how to pursue their lives. Like figure out what you want to do and then figure out how to glorify God in that. No, your job is to glorify the Lord. Let that be the, the prime motive driving everything. And you know what? How you do that will probably become clear to you. You'll see a way to do that, but don't figure out oh, a way to live and then think I'll figure out how to put God's, God's will and God's purpose into that. Your job, Christian is to glorify the Lord. If you're a student, your job is to glorify the Lord as a, as, a, as a student, as a child. If you're a grandparent, if you're a parent, all of us have the same purpose. We can achieve it a hundred different ways, but our purpose is all the same. If you'll pursue that purpose in life, you'll find far more satisfaction than if you think, I'll figure out what I want to do and then figure out how to attach God to the end of that. Realize what your purpose is. Pursue that. And you'll be far more at peace than if you just figure out something that you want to do and then think, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll figure out how to glorify God in whatever that activity is. What peace we can have as Christians, we can know why we're here. We can know our purpose. We can know we're not wasting our lives. In fact, we're the, when we live for Christ, we're the only ones truly living our lives. So we have peace against fear. We have peace with our purpose in life. But the final peace we, we see is eight days later. Peace against our doubts. Peace against doubt. Look, go back to John chapter 20. This is, remember Thomas? This is, Thomas wasn't there. Poor Thomas. I don't know what he's doing. Probably evangelizing. Uh, he's probably the only one doing that, and yet he gets a bad rap. Uh, so Thomas wasn't there. So we come back eight days later, and the same, like the same scene unfolds. In John chapter 20, 
And what does it say in verses 26 to 29? Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, so the, the fear things worked really well. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So here again, we see Jesus come in. What does he say? Peace. But what peace does he give to Thomas this time? It's a little bit different because he's not, it doesn't mention fear this time. What does it mention for Thomas? Disbelief. Do not be disbelieving, but believe. So the first time when he came in, it made explicit reference. The disciples were afraid. Jesus said, look here. And then they went from being afraid to being glad. This time Thomas comes in and we, we, we had already heard previously in chapter 20, Thomas's disbelief. What did he say? Unless I see it, I will not believe. And so Jesus comes in this time, and instead of dealing with fear, Jesus deals with their doubt. And Jesus comes to Thomas and says, look, see my hands, see my side, see that I am real. And this time, Thomas becomes certain of who Jesus is. And we get his his amazing response where he says, my Lord and my God. All doubt was driven away. Jesus had given him the peaceful assurance that Jesus is truly our Lord and our God. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help Thomas out a little bit. Thomas here gets a bad rap uh, because the truth is all the disciples were doubting until they saw Christ. So, for example, Luke chapter 24, we're going to see the same scene, but how the disciples also in, in touching Christ removed their doubt. Luke chapter 24, 36 through 43 As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. So the truth is, all of the disciples were doubting until when? Until they saw the, the wounds, until they saw the hands and the side of Christ. And when they saw that Christ was real, it destroyed all their doubts. When we struggle with doubt, when we struggle in our faith, the, the problem we have is that we were a lot like Thomas. We go, it'd be really easy for me to not doubt if Jesus were here and I could touch his hands and his side. It'd be really easy to not doubt if I could do that. But what does Jesus tell Thomas? He says, look, you touched and you saw and you believed, but blessed are those, blessed are those who don't do those things and yet believe. Christian, God has given us a peace that Christ is real. Christ is not some fairy tale. He's not something we just made up so that we can feel better about our life. Jesus came. He was in the flesh. The disciples touched his hands. They touched his side. He was not just a figment of their imagination. He was not something just made up to make us be able to sleep better at night. And if Jesus is real, then it drives away all of your doubt. There's no reason for you to doubt anything. And there's no reason for you to question your faith. 
because Jesus is real. It happened. Those events of the cross, they happened. The work of Christ, it happened. In real life, to real people, in a real place. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to doubt. Because Jesus gives us a fear that conquers any doubt. A peace that fills our hearts and our lives with joy, with rejoicing, and with certainty. This this is the peace that is ours in Christ. This is the peace we must pursue, that we must never allow to leave our hearts. It's a gift of Christ. It is a blessing of the gospel. These are the peace that we have as a people of peace. We'll see next week how you pursue that peace. Because some of you uh, are looking at this saying, well, I I have that one, I have that one, or I don't have that one. I've got that. So I've got two out of three. What's pass fail uh, on this? Uh, So how do we get this? How do we pursue this peace? Because... Like we said, it's, it's common for Christians to struggle with these things. The disciples struggled with these things until Christ came and spoke peace to them. The church struggled with these things. That's why the church is called to peace. So how do we pursue this peace? Well, the first thing we do as we're doing this week is to realize that you've got it. The peace is yours. That's the first thing we've got to set straight. Peace is not something out there that your fretful heart has to pursue and maybe it'll grow up and be mature enough so you can have peace. Peace is, peace is something that you get maybe when you, when you finally realize your purpose in life, then you can, when you figure out your purpose, then you'll have peace. Peace is something that you can have if Jesus will do some great miracle in your presence, and then you can have peace because I've got peace how? Because this happened today, and that proves to me that God is real, and so now I can have peace. Look, peace is yours by the work of Christ. You have no reason, Christian, to be afraid or be anxious about anything ever again. Peace is yours through Christ. You have no reason to fear that your life is meaningless or purposeless or you're wasting it. You could do so much more. Oh, look, if you're living for God and for his glory, it doesn't matter if you're living in an obscure part of Oklahoma called Beggs, Right? You are achieving with your life more purpose than if you lived in the largest, most thriving metropolis known by everyone, but denying the only one that matters. This is your purpose. You can know it and you can live it. You've got your purpose. Attach anything else to that you want to, but know your purpose. You've been sent out by him. Just as he was sent out from the father. You can go and you can proclaim to the world their salvation found in only one name and you can live for his glory and you can live a holy and spotless life. You can live Godwardly. That's what you're called to do. That's your purpose. And Christian, you've got no reason to ever doubt. No reason. No reason to ever fear your faith. Know that it is real, just as real as Christ just as real as his hands and his side. So is your faith. Do not be disbelieving, but believing in the peace that Christ has given you. Let's pray.